Good morning. So today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10. So um, you can go through this with me or you can pause at any point or you can read it all first and that's okay. So chapter 9, as is with all of these letters, it is a continuation from chapter 8. They are not separate things. And he's talking about money and generous giving. So the opening verse is there is no need to write to you about this. So the idea here is that it is so, so ingrained in the church church culture to give of what they have and to not keep for themselves that Paul feels like he shouldn't need to explain this. He doesn't need to tell them why they're giving or justify their giving. He is so sure that the Corinthians are a generous-hearted church that he has already been boasting about them to other churches that are far away. So read verses 1 to 3 and ask yourself, what stands out to you about the culture Paul is teaching the Corinthians? And do we have an eagerness to help? And do we help our home church? Do we have an eagerness to help far off churches? So this whole chapter is about encouraging generosity. So if you read verses 6 through 9, you can possibly ask yourself these other questions. What do we understand by... Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's my translation. And what do you take or what do you understand from verse 8? So it's important to discuss, discuss verses like this because Paul is talking about money. And if we take any verse in the Bible out of context when it talks about money, it can be argued, not any verse, that, that's a mistake, but it, this verse in particular, it could be argued that if we give lots of money, we will get lots of money. And if we are cheerful about giving lots of money, then God will bless us with lots of stuff. And while it is very clear that Paul believes God is able to bless us abundantly and provide what we need, it is really easy to mix up the ideas of abundant blessing from God and what we need with having lots of wealth and lots of success. Because in context, the church was often filled with the mixture of the very poor and some who were well-off, some business people, uh, maybe people from higher families. And the richer Christians here were expected implicitly to love by giving really abundantly, giving, 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 giving to those who had nothing. And what's more, the example cited in these two letters suggests, in fact, that it is those who didn't have anything to give who were the exemplary givers. The heart of the Christian was so loving that even those with nothing pushed Paul to let them give stuff. That's what we talked about in the last chapter. And Paul isn't saying that the blessing, the abundant blessing for God will be a sudden abundance of wealth. It is much more likely that what he means is, yes, A, that in the spirit-hearted church, the church will provide for those in need so that they have food and shelter and what they need, remember that word need, but also B, that those who give and give generously will be blessed in the sense that they know the heart of God. That is a loving generous, kind, selfless perspective, not a perspective that says, if I give, if I'm faithful with my money and I give lots of money to the church, then God will provide me with 
basically the same amount of wealth or more in return. And it's clear that in our modern church there is a name it and claim it and prosperity culture, especially in, in the modern day church. And that conveniently misses out the idea of need. And what the Christians need, and this is the same today as it was then, it's not masses of wealth. It is enough to live and enough that we can give so that, and here's a quote from chapter 8, those who have much do not have too much and those who have little do not have too little. And that's from chapter 8.15. And you might argue, look at, you know, you might say, well, what about verses 10 to 13? And you say, that that shows us that there is something in this. And it's, yeah, in verse 11, Paul does tell the church that they will be enriched in every way. Um, but this is predicated on a few things. So the first thing is that the church has the heart of God that is expressed in verse 9. A people who scatter their gifts to the poor. And then two, God will increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So see here, it is dependent entirely on God's gifting and his spirit. And it's not dependent on our resources. So first thing is that if we're going to be enriched in every way, the first the first thing we need to have is that we have a heart that is scattering our gifts, like throwing our wealth and our and our matter to the poor, looking for the poor everywhere we can, so we can give and give and give and give because we don't want to hold things to ourselves. And the second thing is that we have to understand that it is only God who, in this way, will increase our store, so our resources or whatever it is, and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And finally, the third thing is there's this caveat. You will be enriched... And then I want this in huge letters so that you can be generous on every occasion. It's not you will be enriched so that every month you can give a bit more or that once a year you can donate a big amount and look good in front of your you know, shareholders. It is that you will be enriched only by God, only when you have the heart of God and only you will only be enriched by God so that you can be generous on every occasion. And remember, he's talking about enrichment in every way. He's not just talking about money. Not only is the enrichment gifted in order for it to be immediately and constantly, remember, every occasion, constantly passed on in love, but it's not even talking about just money. It's just what that's just one part of a generous life. There's time, there's food, there's our homes, there's our words, there's friendship, there's helping at work, there's sacrificing space, there's offering forgiveness, there's being forgiven, being humble. All of these things come under this idea of being generous in every occasion. And that is for both the individual and the church body. So my question is, do you agree or disagree? That's my interpretation of this. I've done some study on it. Do you agree or disagree? And is there anything else that you take from these verses in this chapter? And so the chapter ends with Paul explaining that the loving works the church do, it's not just going to affect the person or the church on its own. So in verse 13, we read... Because of the service which you have provided, by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. 
So it's very obvious in our modern world that you know you can talk about stories of people who don't want anything to do with the church because they have seen, you know, not even in the church, they have seen from outside hypocrisy or greed, you know, double standards and too much of like harsh judgment. The world will be watching if we are generous or if we're not generous. The world is watching. And when God's love and gifts are lived in our lives, people might not even realise, we might not even realise we're watching, we'll see God because, to quote Paul, of the surpassing grace God has given you. We have a responsibility not just to ourselves and to the church body, but to everyone around us. So chapter 10, we jump in and Paul starts defending his ministry again. And this is building towards the final part of this letter. So read verses 1 to 6. What does this tell you about Paul and his team and his character and style towards the church? And in our church and as Christians, he says, we do not wage war like the world and we do not use wep- and we use weapons not of this world. And what do you make of that? So when Paul describes himself as timid when face to face and not impressive in speech, um, but bold in his letters, he's not he's not saying that he's a coward. He's actually suggesting that when he's with people in person, he doesn't have to be showy with his words. He's kind and humble, but that when he's away, he is able to write down more complicated truths and he can be bold in his criticism because of all the problems that have actually started in his absence and it's obvious that people in the church of Corinth were trying to get him kicked out and so they're claiming that he's treating them just as the world does and as a running theme throughout this letter which you'll have seen is this contrast between godly ways of doing things and worldly ways which he's being accused of and so he's saying here that Christian weapons are not the same as the world. And he makes this claim. We have demolished arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that is a big claim. But he's not simply saying that if you argue the gospel, that will destroy everyone's pretension. He's actually talking about the godly way of living and the compassionate and selfless ways of the church is what is able to put down the arguments of the world. So if you read verses 12 to 15 and ask, how does Paul's example challenge us as believers? Do we boast only about the good works God has done through us? Or do we seek to boast about our own achievements? Or do we get those things confused? Now, in verse 16, Paul explains that he wants the Corinthian church to grow in faith so that from them, the sphere of the kingdom of God can grow out. And then and then he can go around preaching the gospel further and further and further afield. And that's that's his aim. He's not aiming to build up, you know, a greater you know, fame for himself. He's not seeking to build the church building or, you know, anything like that. He wants the Corinthian church to grow 
so that people in the sphere of Corinth can hear about this wonderful good news and then people in that sphere can hear about that good news and then Paul would be able to travel to them as well because that's his role, he is the, the travelling teacher. He wants to spread Jesus' message as far as possible. And he says this, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. How do Paul's words challenge you today? And are your ambitions about your own achievements? I know some of mine are. Or are your ambitions only about boasting in the Lord?